chapter he uh, invoked Moses and that is a transition into the second theme which is Moses and the law and how that uh, how it rightly fits into the excuse me the work of Christ and also we'll see that there's quite a connection to the calendar of feasts as we go through this so there's quite a bit of readings in chapter 6 so who would like to uh, volunteer to to do the readings. Uh, okay. Um, there will be some overlap and repetition, so don't let that bother you. Uh, so, what what happens in chapter six? Anybody anybody know off the top of your head? We get one of the first five statements. But what are the events that happen in chapter 6? The feeding of the 5,000, and then what happens later on? He uh, walks on the water. Now, this is, this is uh, one of the few times when John actually repeats events that happen in the synoptics. Uh, but, he's, of course, he's, his own, uh, he's got his own agenda, and he does, it, uh, does each one for a particular purpose. Uh, so the theme here, the themes that we will see are that uh, Christ, and you know, our question is, why did the Logos come? So uh, he came to fulfill the types of the Exodus. Okay. So I got a couple readings for you, Mark, uh, uh, Charlotte, uh, verses ten through thirteen. Jesus said, "Had the people sit down." Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten Okay, so that, that's the first event in a nutshell. And uh, now 16 through 21. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea of Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus did not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Okay, and that's that's the uh, walking on the water, and obviously it's... Uh, 
these two things in, in, in the narrative of the gospel or this chapter, these things follow each other very closely. They're only separated by a couple of uh, verses. Uh, and then he goes on to start a long teaching about the manna uh, slash bread of life. Uh, the manna, of course, is a reference to uh, Moses and uh, uh, he's teaching about himself as the bread of life. Um, and he brings in uh, our participation in his body as the true bread, uh, that we, we, have, we can take part in that. Uh, and this is one of his uh, most controversial statements that, that we find in, in this gospel. Also, we see... Uh, very quickly here in the chapter that this is the second mention of Passover uh, and that's in verse 4 Charlotte oh I'm sorry I you were just telling us <laughs> now the Passover the feast of the Jews was at hand so there you have it I mean John John mentions that for a reason uh, and I'm sure you will remember that the wedding at Cana was the first mention of a Passover. And that was the chapter in which he did an overview. John offers an overview of this theme, Moses and the law. So this, is, this doesn't mean that this was the next Passover, but it is the second Passover in John's narrative. Uh, <clears throat> Uh, and uh, so with that, uh, we also have uh, uh, a link to the Eucharist here. Uh, as, as usual, John is starting his new theme with a Eucharistic statement. Uh, and of course, that is in the bread. At, at uh, the wedding of Cana, it was the wine. Uh, the sacramental element here is the bread of the Eucharist. Um, so, any any thoughts about that before we uh, get into it in more detail? Okay, that's fine. Like it, that's good. <laughs> okay. I don't, I don't know how close it comes. That that verse four. It, the last I've been reading through John the last few days, and he said, John is a Jew. And he says. Feast of the Jews instead. Mm-hmm. Of course, this is a translation, a more softer, a Jewish feast. You know, this right. kind of thing. It's just I don't know if it means anything, but I wonder if that strikes anybody or. Well, it's uh, it's a late gospel. Uh, it's believed to have been written around the year ninety or ninety five. At that point, the the church is heavily Gentile. Yeah, he's writing to. to so he he uh, he's probably. Uh, making sure the Gentiles understand. Luke does this as well. And, and Luke, the tradition is that his gospel is aimed at Gentiles. Yeah. And Luke being a Gentile himself. Uh, so he does more explanation like that. But I, I suspect that this is just John making sure that his readers know what yeah. the Passover is. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Charlotte, can you read uh, verses 5 through 9? Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? 
He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Jesus and, uh, Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Okay, so this is detail that you don't get in the synoptics. It's simply, he sat down and, and broke the five loaves and two fishes, or and, and uh, you know that's that's the end of it. So, so John gives us this inside story, and um, uh, the illustration is the insufficiency of the disciples' effort compared to the boy's simple gift. Now, you've probably been told uh, some at some point in your life that there are no, no such thing as a stupid question. And, and there isn't. But there is such a thing as a stupid answer. And this boy's answer to the problem was stupid. Okay, And I suspect that he was just saying, Rabbi, take my lunch. Uh, you know, just to give, give to Rabbi. Uh, but Jesus uses our weakness to show himself strong. This is what God loves to do. And he takes this, this pitiful little uh, offering and turns it into an abundance. So, uh, you know, it's the abundance of grace versus the insufficiency of effort. Interesting, there's a play that we've talked about called John Historians. It's based on the great seventh grade signs. This this particular one in the play is viewed through the eyes of the mother of the boy. Of the boy. Because she's sitting with a friend and she's kind of watching to know where her son is. And all of a sudden, she's, the other one says, I bet your son is <laughs> So she's freaking out, you know, because she didn't put enough of the right like, food in there. Or, you know, have enough yeah. Typical mom. It's quite a, it adds to the humor of this event, which this event is quite yeah. humorous. Yeah. If you think about it, Philip going, I don't know, mm-hmm. we don't have that much money right mm-hmm. now. I guess we could give them each a bean. You have enough for one bean. Okay, so Charlotte uh, can finish this up with verses 12 through 13. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who Okay, so that's the abundance. You know, not, not only uh, was uh, there plenty for everybody, but there was leftovers. Um, uh, I have heard uh, unbelievers explain this away as saying, well, when they saw the little boy uh, share, then everybody shared. Uh, but, I mean, they for there to be leftovers, you know, you've got a huge hungry crowd, there's no way we can feed them. But then everybody shares and there's leftovers. That means that the people who had food you know, had a truckload, <laughs> you know. You were, you're not going to have... Uh, does it kind of confirm it as a miracle? Yeah, yeah. Well, the explanation that they're offering is is trying to undermine the miracle. Yeah. The real miracle is that everybody shared. Yeah. 
but yeah, but there is there's there's well this person I've heard this from primarily was Methodist. Really? Yeah. But you know, there's there's just it's usually these things are very easy to disprove. So anyway, there's that. Also, I'd like to point out that once again, Andrew is the go-to guy. If somebody has a problem, they go to Andrew. And Andrew is supposed to be able to fix it with Jesus. Um, you know, first first it's the it's Philip in the in the narrative, and then you hear that the boy went to Andrew. And the same thing happens with the Greeks toward the end of the gospel. I think that I think that's Philip also who was first approached by the by the uh, Greeks, and he goes to Andrew, you know, to see if he can fix this with Jesus. So he's a very important guy, but he was not in the in the uh, uh, inner circle. So he might be the smoother version of Peter. He's he's uh, he is a good uh, study in humility. So didn't Jesus say, say about him that he was the one that's more God? Is that right? That yeah, was Nathaniel. 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 Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's move on. Uh, Charlie Peter's brother. If you could read uh, six nineteen again. He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to give a little. One of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, Well, there's a boy. I'm sorry, here. Charlotte. Just just verse nineteen. Oh, just verse nineteen. Yeah, I'm sorry. That's my fault. When they rode about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. Okay, so uh, John inserts this event. This is the walking on the water. Uh, he inserts this uh, event as a bridge to teaching about the bread of life. And this comes up in uh, directly in uh, verses 24 through 26. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got in the boat and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them. How far do you want me to read? Uh, what he said? 26. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are not seeking me. You are seeking me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Yeah, so the walking on the water is a big deal, okay? But John just kind of throws it in there. It's just a bridge to uh, Jesus' statement in in verse 26. Uh, It's more about the crowd reacting to Jesus not being there and, you know, rushing over to the other side of the lake uh, because they're not that interested in him. They're interested in the bread. And this opens the door then for him to talk about himself as the bread of life. It's interesting. They probably, I don't know, afterwards they follow the disciples down to the down to the lake, and they see them get the boat and leave. But where Jesus, he yeah. disappeared someplace, and, uh, and so there's no way how how he would have had to get his own boat and go back over there himself. So right, like, so they're looking for him, knowing that he 
somehow he didn't he wouldn't he went in a different boat or something. Yeah. So John is just kind of using this as a plot device, and I suspect that if he didn't need that he probably would not have mentioned it at all if he didn't need that bridge from the feeding of the 5,000 to uh, the teaching about the bread of life. So are, are there any other thoughts about that? Well, it, it's, it's amazing to me, and this is, seems to me a, quite a humorous point as well, too, because here they, here they see Jesus walking on the waters in the middle of a storm, basically. <laughs> so, and they're... they're Freaked out about it, but you know, just like, and then I love the fact that they finally said, "Oh, they, oh, it's you." I get, oh, let's let him in the boat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let me give him a hand. I'll help him get in the boat. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it's interesting. The minute he steps into the boat, and they're on the land. Jesus <laughs> <laughs> really warm, does not need the boat. Warm speed. <laughs> I can imagine, what does that feel like? Water skiing speed. <laughs> okay, so now that we've established that, we need to go backwards a little bit. Uh, and so, if Charlotte, if you could read verse 14. When the people saw the signs that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Okay, so here we got Moses again. This is uh, an invocation of the prophet like Moses. And uh, we find that in Deuteronomy 18, uh, 15 through 16. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen, just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire anymore lest I die. So they, Moses expects them to listen to this prophet <laughs> and not be afraid of him the way they were before, you know, and rightly afraid. But this is the one to listen to. Uh, so we'll see how much they listen to Jesus. <laughs> no spoiler alerts. Oh, no. And it's interesting, it's right after the eight too, so it's almost like that feeding is almost like the manna. Yeah. You know, so and I, and I, my guess is that this was probably, I can't imagine what the wine tastes like that Jesus created. It had to be the best wine of all time. And then, uh, and then now, the bread, <laughs> probably the bread, bread and the fish, yeah, this it's got to be cooked to perfection. You know, so it's <laughs> the best bread ever made. <laughs> And then, and then the, the break, and then the leftovers, I mean, I can just see them clamoring for, you know, give me a basket. <laughs> I've never had bread like this. <laughs> well, and in this statement, too, from Deuteronomy, Moses also compares this prophet with Almighty God. Uh, with Where, the, with the, in Deuteronomy. In the passages you just read. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, he, he talks about the, the terror of. Uh, dealing with this God in the pillar of fire and compares that to the prophet. So he's comparing it to Jesus. What was that reference to Deuteronomy? 18, 15 through 16. So, in what ways then uh, uh, is Jesus like Moses, this prophet like me? Moses says, prophet like me. So in what ways, yeah, just within this chapter, can, can we see him being uh, like Moses? 
fighting. Yes. Signing man in the wilderness here. Yes, sir. God. Well, I have got a list of ways. And yes, I will show my hand. And the first one is in verse three. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Okay, in the synoptics, there are kind of. In at least one synoptic, there's kind of a hint that they were on a mountain, but John is the only one that makes a point of it in this, of course. How is this like Moses? Moses went up to the mountain. It's a connection to Moses on Sinai. Uh, Again, uh, Sinai is the mountain of the law. Jesus turns this into the mountain of grace, you know, with with the miraculous feeding. Uh, Okay, the next one is in verse 11. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who received all to the fish as much as they wanted. Okay, so this is the miraculous increase of bread. Uh, it's almost like bread just falling out of the sky. <laughs> and know. quail. Only well, quail, quail was a different. The quail is a different issue. <laughs> that's kind of that. Well. Uh, there were two instances of quail, and the second one did not go well for them. But, uh, um, but it's, it, it's, this is all leading into bread of life teaching. Keep that in mind. So the focus really here is on the bread. Um, so we have this miraculous increase. Uh, the next one is in verse 13. So they gathered them up and filled the twelve baskets with fragments and the five water loaves left by those who eat Okay, so this abundance allowed leftovers. It was it was an overabundance, uh, which was also like the manna. Uh, the difference was they were allowed to collect this. If you collected more manna than you needed, it went bad. Uh, which I mean, we know that there was an overabundance of manna because some of them collected too much. Uh, but the, these, uh, these leftovers uh, were gathered uh, and not to be wasted. Um, Kierkegaard, Soren Kierkegaard has a great thought on that, that uh, the uh, collection of leftovers in, in both of the uh, miraculous feedings uh, is an indication of, of the abundance of grace, but also that none of it is, goes to waste. Christ, Christ's grace is always effective. It is never garbage. Well, you got the whole number there, 12. Right. Well, and one was 12 and the other one was seven, right? Seven baskets of leftovers. It's not in John, but the other miraculous feeding. So those are both uh, significant numbers. Uh, And and so this this abundance... uh, is expanded into the teaching of the bread of life, which begins in, in verse thirty-five. Uh, okay, the next uh, the next verse, Charlotte, is nineteen again. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. Okay, this event is a companion to the crossing of the Red Sea, uh, only greater. 
uh, Jesus didn't need to split the the, okay. the sea to cross it. He just walked on it. <laughs> just walked on the surface. Uh, this is uh, John's uh, uh, purpose again of showing that a good thing or even a great thing is now replaced by a better thing. And so, you know, while jo- while Moses split the sea, Jesus just walked on it. Uh, we first saw that with the wedding at Cana uh, in here again. Uh, the next instance is in verse 29. Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, if you believe in him, you may sin. Okay, so here we can uh, refer back to 5.46 where Jesus says, If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. Uh, so this is, this is a, uh, a, a, a challenge to believe, uh, and this is what God really wants. And so, in response, the crowd challenges him. Uh, that's uh, that would be verses thirty through thirty-three. So they said to him, "Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform?" Our fathers ate man in the wilderness, as it is written, "He gave them bread from heaven to eat." Jesus then said to them, "Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven." For the bread of God is he who comes down from the heaven and gives life to the world. Okay, so they demand a sign. Just have one. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they are just rock hard that they are not the, going to believe. Yeah. And some of them still had some leftovers at their house. Yeah. <laughs> and God, you know, God called them a stiff necked people, and they are proving it here in spades. Um, Why do you think that they. You know, after this miracle and all these great things that Jesus is doing and feeding them and miraculously, you know, why do they suspect want to be a theologian of Jesus here? Well, everyone is the smartest person in the room. <laughs> everyone wants to be the smartest person in the room. <laughs> I, had, I suspect it may have something to do with a veil over their eyes. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they, they directly bring in Moses, uh, and so Jesus picks up that ball and runs with it. And, you know, this is all part of John's theme here. How does Moses and the law fit in? Um, you know, some people have the gall to say, oh, really, Jesus never claims to actually be God in the New Testament. Uh, yeah. so, uh, they, they've missed, missed a few. <laughs> they have missed a few verses. All right. Uh, Charlotte, if you could read uh, verse 27 and verse 32. 27 and 32. Yeah. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. And then 32. Mm-hmm. Jesus then said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. My Father gives right. you the true bread from heaven. So, if we compare these two verses, we see that Jesus is teaching that the bread of life 
who I mean, he, in the next in the next verse, he says, uh, "The bread of life, is, uh, the bread of God, is He who comes down from heaven and gives life." Uh, so the bread of life is better than Moses and the manna. Uh, again, this is effort uh, versus <coughs> gift. Um, so um, that's just another connection with Moses. Uh, and then Charlotte, if you could uh, read verse 31 and 49 and 50. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. 49 and 50. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. So the temporal man, uh, character of manna uh, compared to the eternal character of the bread of life. Uh, uh, also, as we've already talked about, the manna corrupted overnight. Uh, the bread of life is never corrupt. Uh, his Holy One will not see corruption. <laughs> it's like the law is corruption. Reveals corruption. Yeah. yeah. Praise God reveals life. So, uh, yeah, to paraphrase Paul, uh, Paul in, in the law, uh, corruption abounds. When uh, we die, we give up this corruption and receive incorruption. Mm-hmm. Body. Yep. Excuse me. Amazing. So those are just the different ways within this chapter that, that Jesus is compared to, to Moses as John makes this transition. And then we get to uh, verse 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer worked with him. Okay. Uh, This follows verses 53 through 60. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up in the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught the Capernaum. Uh, next one. And when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? So, uh, it's hard. It's hard to follow Jesus. And so many fell away. And uh, this is exactly what they did with Moses. Um, they were, the, the Jews here were just as faithful to Jesus as they had been to Moses. Um uh, in a very real way, Moses faced a number of rebellions, uh, and even to the point a couple of times when God wanted to just destroy the people altogether and start over. Uh, he, he said that, but you know, knowing that Moses was uh, from the tribe of Levi, 
the promises to the tribe of Judah had still had to be fulfilled. So that was more of a test of Moses. But still, uh, they, they were, even, even at the edge of the Red Sea, uh, they had been free from Egypt for like a day. And, and they were rebelling against Moses. And yeah, leeks and onions by the Nile. Uh, so we see the same reaction to Jesus. And again, 546, if you believe Moses, you would believe me. Uh, we can compare that to verse 36 in this chapter. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. Yeah, I mean, they've seen the signs. They've seen what he has done and still won't believe. Um, uh, and even, even, you know, after Moses' death and he became, becomes this icon to them, they still didn't follow his law. They still didn't yeah. honor his law. And, and when they really did embrace it uh, in, in the... Um, uh, particularly in the uh, uh, characters of the uh, Pharisees, they were more f- focused on the letter of the law than the spirit of it. And, you know, again, I'll invoke Hosea 6, 6, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Um, the, uh, the Pharisees and uh, the Jews in general were not about mercy, but they were all about sacrifice. Did he say anything that they should know he's speaking figuratively? Yeah. Um, I was looking closely. Uh, he, are you are you talking about the uh, the, the passage about uh, the body and the blood? Yeah, take of my body, my blood. Should they? They, they did speaking. They apparently did not comprehend that. No. They said this is a hard sign. Yeah. I don't. I don't know. I. I would doubt it. I mean, I. I think they, they were. They should recognize were, it as figurative. I. I would doubt it, because at this point he's challenging people. Uh, I mean, is he inviting cannibalism? I mean, that just seems a little bit crazy. <laughs> it makes me think of the place where it talks about he speaks in parables. Yeah. And he does this that. Those who hear, yeah. there are those that will hear and not, and not, not understand. That, in the Old and the New Testament, that is a peculiar... In fact, my oldest son and I have gone back and forth a few times. I've got a little study on it where I'm trying to, you know, understand why. You know, why. I don't believe a volition that God would deliberately cause people not not to have an opportunity, you know. So it's peculiar. Well, he, he, Jesus said a lot of stuff that people didn't understand, but his followers did after the resurrection. After the Holy Spirit. And, yeah, uh, yeah I mean, and during that period of teaching after the resurrection, and then and Jesus promises the Holy Spirit is going to help us understand things, yeah. uh, <laughs> that there's a lot of things were cleared up in that, in that, just through those events. But at this point, I think he's just trying to challenge people to, and, and, and perhaps. The, the disciples didn't turn away. You know, perhaps. Yeah, the plus ones didn't. 
No, I mean, uh, yeah, obviously he still had followers. Uh, Maybe it's like you say, everybody's already seen enough, you know. It's, it's, uh, there's probably, I would guess, an element of uh, Jesus trying, just trying to get them to understand that they don't understand. Also, as I was reading it and I was thinking, are they, what are, I always thought they were protesting the fact that they felt like he was promoting cannibalism. But uh, above, they were upset because they said, because he said, I have now come, I have come down from heaven. And also in that speaking, he's saying, if you believe in me, you'll have eternal life. So they oh. also were upset because they realized he was making claims as coming from heaven and coming from God. And that might have bothers them even more. Well, that's, that's, the that's certainly them. where he's going. Right. And he's also challenging Moses. You know, yeah. Moses, yeah, sure. because yeah, Moses taught about me. Or something, something else. You can't put, can't put new wine into old skins. Right. He's talking about a whole new wine skin. Yeah. They were just not good soul. It, it's, yeah, it's, well, that's... It's interesting. I'm just starting... Yeah. 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 I just start reading this book... Uh, written by an English professor from Wheaton, where he is analyzing the scriptures from a literary perspective, you know, all the different forms of literature that, that are in the in the Bible. It's amazing, you know, so, so it, uh, oftentimes, it's a, it's a, you know, for people that are literalists, mm-hmm. the Bible's a very difficult book because there's so much figurative language in it and metaphorical language, and so, so these are artistic these are literary devices that were well known at the time that they're that they're using. You know, and Jesus knows them too, so he's he's yeah. using these devices to communicate a message from this this literary in yeah. a sense that they don't they don't want to receive. Yeah. So. Connor, two things. Uh, one, I think you should be careful not to try to get into Christ's head here and what he means. Yeah. I think there's a danger there. Um, secondly, um, along the lines of Christ challenging Moses in this, he's also challenging the law. Yeah. Because the law is very clear about what you don't do with blood. Yeah, that's you know, true. To drink blood was an abomination. Yeah. And but why was it an abomination? Well, because the forwards answer and a backwards answer. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the reason is because it's pointing to. Eucharist. I mean, right. we can't do it now because right. the Eucharist is coming. It, it is, yeah, it is the uh, unique rite of the Eucharist. Yes. Same with human sacrifice. Yeah. It's an abomination to God because it is a unique privilege and rite well, of the crucifixion. Then, oh, I'm sorry. Well, no, and, and, it's, and it's not just that all of a sudden drinking blood is unclean. I mean, in some sense, there's still a little bit of scandal to it. I mean, the Eucharist, yeah. the Eucharist takes both the highest and the lowest. That's what the cross does. It's the meeting point between the high and the low. Mm-hmm. So you have the holy bread from heaven and the abomination of drinking blood come together in the Eucharist. Yeah. Right? And that's what Jesus is saying. And people can't handle that. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a very strong challenge. Yeah, he kind of touched on this just then. But, uh, but the, uh, the whole deal, this whole passage, you know, it's easy to kind of be hard on these people, for, you know, yeah. but this this passage still causes issues today. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the, the yeah. Catholics use this as a proof text for 
transubstantiation, mm -hmm. for instance. So it's kind of, uh, I mean, even today, we I'm not sure the church completely knows what to do with this sometimes. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I was going to say that you know, you know, when what David was talking about, we we still do the same thing today. We this is, he's talking about mystery here, you know, and, and how how does abomination and righteousness kiss? Uh, uh, but but we but we want to explain it. We we want to uh, you know parse it and uh, you know define it and you know make it fit into our heads instead of just embracing mystery. Let's just have communion once a quarter because it's complicated. That's right. And let's cover it so we don't have to look at it. So we don't really believe in the bread of life. I like the Latin America never had. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we're. Yeah, you know, you go on a retreat, like a men's retreat. Every retreat I've ever been on, it ends with communion. They'll have a, commun a communal service at the end of it. Every, almost every retreat you ever go to in your life, they'll always end with all of us coming together as a community. Oh, you know, so, and, uh, but but ch at church, it's like, oh man, if we can put this off more than once a quarter, we Well, uh, it's time to finish up. So uh, let me just uh, finish by pointing out that uh, the signs have already been mentioned. Uh, the fourth sign is feeding the 5,000. And it does, again, repeat myself, it does have the sacramental uh, connection with the bread, the, the element of the Eucharist. And this is part of John's scheme, that he begins each theme with some kind of sacramental uh, uh, event. Uh, and then the fifth sign is walking on water. So that leaves us with uh, two remaining signs. So, any any closing comments before uh, we prepare for worship? Thank you. The uh, teachers have talked about the verse six six and six where they turn away from him. Mm -hmm. uh, as you know, like in Revelation six and six. Right. Some talk about it. Yeah. Well, yeah, man, you know, who knows? Uh, yeah, right. I mean, the, yeah, yeah, it, it very, very easily could be a coincidence. <laughs> but, you know, God is sovereign over all things, so Peter's maybe arrange that. The chapter is probably one of the greatest statements ever. Think about it. You yeah. Words of life. Where yeah, else are we going to go? go? I mean, and I think everybody that's a true Christian has come to that same point someplace, sometime in their life, and they've said, I don't know where else to go. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a little child. I don't understand. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Peter, I got, yeah, I got no Peter had some right. good moments in the Gospels as well. <laughs> <laughs> Bless you. But he was an old cop. Uh, yeah. Um, okay. That's, that's it for today.